Welcome back to the Work in Progress podcast brought to you by Work Nicer. On this episode in the election series, Alex and Ernie chat with Terry Wong, who's running for council in Ward 7. Welcome to another chat of the election series of the Work in Progress podcast. My name is Alex. I'm here with uh, my good friend Ernie, and we're chatting today with Terry Wong. Uh, Ernie, go ahead. Yeah, Ernie Sue from the Alberta Hospitality Association and uh, owner of Trolley 5 Community Brew Pub. Welcome, Terry. Welcome. Thank I you. I hope uh, all's going well with the election. Oh, we're in the final days and we're working hard. Man, so, three days. Yeah, three days. Yeah, Monday. So let's talk Ward 7. Um, if you could just take a, a few minutes, talk about the boundaries of Ward 7 and the communities that are within it and you know some of the, the business areas in there in Ward 7 as well. Of course. So Ward 7 is actually uh, the heart of Calgary, as you often refer to it, predominantly the downtown core, which goes from 14th Street all the way to East Village, mm-hmm. CP tracks to the river. So we cover a lot of area. We've actually taken over chunks of uh, what used to be Ward 8 as well, so mm-hmm. we've incorpor- incorporated that. North side of the river, we go all the way from Edmund Trail all the way up to Montgomery, again from the river north to 32nd Avenue. And in that case, we've got a lot of, you know, vibrant areas in there, whether it be Crescent Heights or Kensington or 16th Ave and Montgomery. So we've got a lot of real interesting uh, vibrant areas in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I forgot to say even Chinatown. Yeah, and yeah <laughs> I, was, I, just, I was waiting. I was like, yeah, in Chinatown, yeah. Um, I'm excited for this chat because so um, I lived in Inglewood for the last 10 years and about a year ago I moved to Hillhurst and all of a sudden the election's coming and I'm like I'm usually fairly tuned into this stuff I'm like I don't know what's going on in Ward 7 <laughs> right and so I was really excited that you were coming in because it's like hey let's let's and not that I have any specific issues but hopefully this is some. it's like if I feel this way then I think a lot of others are going to feel that way too oh absolutely and I th- it's important for me uh, you know it's well known. My my family uh, has the Silver Dragon. Uh, you know, it's been open for over fifty years. And one of the key pieces for me of having you and other Canada uh, candidates that are running for Ward Seven is is the bike lanes and the lack of engagement that took place. Um, you know, in that whole area of Eau Claire to, to Chinatown, and how how you feel about that, and how you feel that would be a positive or a negative towards the businesses in that area. For sure. You know, one of the things we all say right off the bat, the folks in Chinatown do want, you know, cyclists in there. We do support, you know, the uh, protected bike lanes and everything else and such. What we have a problem with has always been the city's process of engagement. That process of engagement has, you know, not only hurt the folks in Chinatown, but it's also hurt the folks on the west side of the uh, Third Avenue and even the office towers in the middle. And in my engagement last night, for example, I'll tell you, when they were trying to reach me, I was at Buchanan's last night for dinner. Mm. talking to James Buchanan and his mother, yeah. Carol, and they were just livid with what they've done on 3rd Avenue between, you know, 6th and 7th Street. Mm-hmm. And if you ever take a look at it, the bike lane doesn't go straight. Hmm. The bike lanes are like a serpentine in there, and saying, you know, who, which, which cyclist would ever use this? The second part of the equation is that the, the, uh, the way in which the roadways are cut, you know, they've got a great waste of space now. In other words, you know, one lane of cars, one bike lane, and then there's a whole a hole in the middle where nothing's going to go there. Yeah. So what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's ugh, eerily um, parallel to the issues that we went through on 17th Avenue and are still going through. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you get in as a counselor at Ward 7, let's talk about the projects because there's a lot of projects that are going to be going on in your ward, some major construction projects. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how, how are you going to handle that? Are you going to be, you know, for lack of better words, do you think that micromanagement needs to happen with these projects, especially not just on the engagement piece with residents and businesses, but actually boots to the ground to ensure that these projects are being done properly? Yeah. I want to set the stage to properly for that one. <clears throat> Pardon me. You know, I started with the city in 1984, and at that time I met with the chief commissioner who was part of orientation. One of the things the chief commissioner said to all of us new managers was, remember this. Good government means it's like a triple a three-legged stool, taxpayers, administrations, and council. Mm-hmm. You got to maintain balance between all three. If you don't do that, you don't have it, right? And this is what most people we talk to at the doors, businesses are saying, Jay, we don't have that three-legged stool, and that's what I want to bring back. The second thing is being a good public servant, whether you're a counselor or, or a, uh, an administ- you know, administrator, is being a public servant. That means listening and learning and then leading, not mm-hmm. leading with you know leading with your ideas and hoping the population follows you. So, mm-hmm. so sending stage on that, you're right. There are a number of projects we need to engage on in the downtown core as well as across the city, which needs to be focused on listening and learning and engaging properly with the community. You know whether it be you know again we talk about the green line or we can talk about uh, the Richmond Green sale sell the parks park space. Many times over, you get communities coming down, speaking to council at a public open hearing, and what happens? Decisions are just, you know. Nothing. It's like, it's Nothing like happens. It's preordained, right? Yeah. And, and the, the other thing I think it's very important for people to understand is that the role of a counselor is you elect them to adjudicate good ideas. Mm-hmm. And the word adjudicate is a key word. You know, you listen to communities, you listen to industry, you listen to academics, you listen to administration, right? And you listen to taxpayers. And when you listen, then you adjudicate what's the right idea. But if you come in leading with ideas, you, you automatically blind off everybody else out there. And that's not the way a counselor should be. You know? So having said that, you know, we've, got, you're right, we've got a number of projects going on. A green Line is probably the most significant one that's happening in Ward 7 right now. Uh, you're going through the downtown core, across the river, up Center Street. And that decision's been made. And some people will say the boat's already sailed on that. Yes and no. If you take a look at what's going across the river and, uh, and through Crescent Heights itself, there's a, there's a bit of a pause and a wait to see what happens on the first segment first. Hmm. I don't believe you know going across the river and up Center Street is the right way to go. I believe going underground Center Street is a better way to go. Hmm. Okay, And the reason being, if you take a look at the traffic flow right now from North Central into downtown core, closing off Center Street by putting two, lane, uh, two, two tracks in the center, bike, uh, bus lanes on the outside, People are going to cut through, you know, uh, Crescent Heights to get to Edmund Trail, go down to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to get downtown. The problem with that, of course, the Edmonton Trail across the river, you don't have a bridge to do that properly. Mm-hmm. So are we, are we you know, keeping people in the downtown core, driving them away, right? Mm. To do it right, and that's been my, 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 my practice has always been, let's do the right things and do it the right way. If we don't have enough money, then let's go approach, you know, the people to say, do you want to do it properly, do it right? Then let's ask for the money. Right. Are you talking about provincial government? Federal, provincial, yes. Mm-hmm. It may not be right away. It may, it may have to be you know, a few years away. But I'd much rather do the infrastructure right now rather than putting it on the surface and live with it forever. Right. So you want to do it. You want to do it right, but you want to be patient. So then just to confirm, so you want to go, rather than running straight up Center Street, you wanted to go just underneath Center Street. Yeah, a lot of people back in 2017 supported going underneath uh, Center Street under 16th Avenue and surfacing so you get to a station on 20th Ave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, majority of the people wanted that time. 
now okay awesome Are you talking about residents and businesses yes or, oh yeah okay oh, yeah. 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 yeah yeah you all wanted at that time mm-hmm. now we run out of money now the second selling for second best or third best i don't believe we should be selling for second third best we have to do the right thing because by doing it the way we're doing it now again we're going to cause traffic havoc mm-hmm. we're going to cause you can imagine uh, you know, um, ernie you're a businessman right you can imagine your business being constrained because you can't have you know, cars going up and down the street. Mm-hmm. You're going to also be constrained because your sidewalk's going to be narrower. Mm-hmm. So who's going to come shopping your business? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we need we need to survive both on the commu- uh, residential side as well as on the commercial side, and that means doing the infrastructure right. Mm-hmm. And Ernie can do more than just imagine it. He lived it on 17th Ave with Trolley 5. So I think what you're saying makes a whole ton of sense. One thing that stood out to me, you mentioned, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you say that you started with the city in 1984? Yeah, kind of old, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Not what I was seeing. More, more, yeah, more important was a lot of people would say to me, uh, uh, if you get in, you'll be the oldest rookie, but the most experienced. The so. oldest rookie? You will be <laughs> the, the oldest rookie? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, yeah. I Dude, did that. <laughs> seriously, that's cool. Well, and can you speak a little bit? Because I think that's important for people people to hear. It's like, yeah, the oldest rookie. You might be a rookie in terms of counsel, but that doesn't mean that you lack experience. So can you speak a little bit to what that experience is for people who may not know you? Sure. You know, again, uh, for myself, I spent 30 years at the city. Um, before that, five years in hospitals, healthcare management. My, my profession is really around making organizations function you know, effectively, efficiently, right? So when I came here, I came here basically to help the city uh, improve their assessment taxation system, ultimately bring in a 1999 mar- market value assessment for the entire city. Mm. And then I moved down to the city manager's office to work with the corporate reorganization, later on to, uh, in 2001 to help sell NMAX, which we ultimately decided not to sell. And then 10 years of business planning and budgeting across the city, which includes capital infrastructure planning and budgeting as well. And then I was at that point, I was asked by a member of council to run for a council in 2013. So, you know, within within, you know, the city itself. You've got administrative experience. You've got political experience. I apologize. Did you run in 2013? I did. I ran against Joe Magliocca. Came tied for second. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And then in the last six years, of course, Smoking it's been Joe. Smoking Joe. I'm <laughs> right Diamond Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But in the last six years, I've been, you know, executive director of Chinatown, which and takes care of all the, not just the business in the area, but the cultural aspects and arts aspect of what Chinatown is all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, as well, being a community association president for Hounsford Heights, Briar Hill. So in this particular case, I, I cover this the uh, the business side of the equation as well as the, you know, the resident side. So, what know. are you hearing from residents? What are you hearing from residents in the ward? I mean, you've got so much going on, and and I think perception might be, oh, like Terry's just all about business to secure about what what's happening to us as residents and bettering, you know, our parks or whatever the amenities in their area. Like, wh- what have you been hearing from your residents? Yeah, most of the things we're hearing from residents are three fundamental things. You know. Since we started the campaign on May 1st, we're hearing, number one, safe communities. It doesn't matter if we're talking about safe communities in, let's say, Banff Trail or Crescent Heights or safe communities down in, in uh, Eau Claire and, and uh, you know, East Village, right? People find it really difficult today to walk in their you know, back lanes or to the parks or, or through the downtown core knowing that there's elements of risk around them. They also find it difficult to be around there when there's, you know, uh, how to say social disorder, you know, encampments and, and uh, uh, graffiti and, and uh, uh, how to say uh, garbage and things like that not, not being picked up, 
right? Now, when I go to graffiti, I'm not saying graffitis are bad, but it's just that you know, it's a, an element they don't understand. The third element is crime, crime uh, activities. And we heard last night, for example, three stabbings along you mm-hmm. know, so the uh, 7th Avenue downtown. Last night, yeah. Exactly. And that yep. kind of stuff you know, does not attract people to the downtown court. So we need to clean up that, clean, that whole you know, clean and safe aspect of, of uh, downtown. How are you proposing that? So a number of things we need to take a look at is, number one, how many agencies are actually engaged, involved in doing this, you know, going from Calgary Police to Bylaw to Park Authority to LRT Transit Officers, also taking a look at the city's, you know, social services uh, group itself, plus all the community-based social services area. And you think of the dozens of organizations that are out there. The question is, are we pulling them all together and creating a team to make it happen? And that's one of the things I want to do is, is you know, in the, in the first three months of being there, bring these agencies together, establish common, you know, common outcome, a mandate to serve, and work together to get there. If it means you know, balancing resources between groups, for example, between police and, and, uh, and uh, community services, let's find those resources, the dollars, to balance and help people out. But again, what we don't want is duplicity in, this, in the service. We don't want people doing this, another one doing this, but they're not coordinated. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not talking. The left hand's not talking right. to the right hand. Yeah, and not not to say they're, they're you know, we're totally dis, you know, uh, right now, but it could be better, right? The other thing also, uh, for from a community perspective, we need to understand the people who are out there, uh, you know, struggling, right, are not you know are not uh, uh, victims, right? As such, they are vulnerable citizens. We need to take care of vulnerable citizens as well. Mm-hmm. So treat them as just as you would your brother and sister who has a trouble, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to somebody we want to pick up and incarcerate and you know not see them later on. Like I'm not a I'm not a fan of incarceration whatsoever. I'm a fan of rehabilitating them and bringing them back to a point that they can respect themselves and, and be dignified. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that we need. You know, again, whether it be on an enforcement side of the equation or a social services side of the equation, we need to recognize that same person with the same way. You go, go ahead. I love it. That's awesome. So it um, back to also a little bit about your experience. So you have a lot of experience in administration. I love what you said about the three-legged stool that require you know taxpayers, administration, and council. You know, I think a lot of people truly who don't understand kind of like the inner workings of government. You know, they often think of council in a way as administration, right? And um, there was somebody else that we were chatting to this week that you know who was a city worker for years and is running for council who said that they were going to like leave it and like fight the fight from the outside, mm-hmm. which was interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people wouldn't think of like council as the outside. And so I'm just curious, you know, what are you going to do given, or what do you think you can do given the, your experience in administration and obviously your experience as a taxpayer citizen, you know, from the council side, it's kind of like you're adding that third leg of the stool. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does that mean for, uh, city workers and that and what does that mean for administration? Are they there to stay? Is this a culture thing? What does it look like? Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Um, uh, I was asked that same question as well about the three three leg stool and where do I you know where do I sit? And I says precisely that I am that seat of that three legged stool, mm-hmm. right? That's what I like to be the glue that that brings those three legs together. I don't want and I've heard this before from people who are within administration, not directly, indirectly, that there are some people within administration concerned that if I get in there knowing what I know, the both the policies and processes mm. and everything else, mm. that I'm gonna be uh, targeting them. Mm. I don't want them to worry one bit. You know. Shouldn't they do? though? Sorry? Shouldn't they though? Well in some respects, with some of the issues that have been coming up with lack of engagement with business residents, like that, uh, isn't it time for a little bit of that shake up with administration? 
so so what we need to change is culture and behavior mm-hmm. okay uh, i don't want them to feel threatened in a sense i'm going to come in and say oh you know you 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 you're out of here type of thing yeah number yeah, one yeah. as counselors we don't have the authority to hire fire anybody at all right, right? but more importantly we do have the right to, to set a new tone a, a new culture of what we do in terms of being a servant right and that's that's a, that's the principal understanding is we are both elected as well as uh, hired uh, servants to the public right mm-hmm. um taxpayers you pay Therefore, you get the first voice and the last decision. That's mm-hmm. the way we need to we need to have culture established here, right? So, having said that, you know, yes, there are things that we could all we can improve at the city, but if we all believe that we're there to serve the public, then we can all work together and make it happen. Yeah, people believe that there's a uh, when I say people, both in terms of council members and administration, feel that the same old same old works, and we're going to leave it as is and not recognize that the people want change. You know, I'm, I hate to say this, then there will always be that, you know, the battle that we experienced in previous councils, you know, dysfunctional uh, council, dysfunctional administration and a lack of engagement. So we got to move beyond that. Back mm-hmm. last October, council, um, Calgary Herald reported 70% of Calgarians want change. Not necessarily change of council members, yeah. change of council behavior. Uh, well, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, there was 81% of Calgarians that wanted a full council flip. There's actually a petition mm. that went around Calgary asking to sign this petition to take to provincial government to mm. have the existing council removed. Right. And that, that's, that was a pretty pretty strong number back for sure. then. For sure. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's where Calgarians were at, you know, and I think that's it's important, like whether it's a councillor or the mayoral candidates that are coming in, that, you know, the citizens know what changes are that you're trying to implement, especially in such an important ward, or the mayoral candidates are trying to implement as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, BIA, this, is, this um, is a topic that has come up amongst so many businesses in all wards. Uh, I know for myself, I sat on the 17th Avenue BIA, and there isn't even a perception. There is definitely a concern that a there's another tax fee that's going to, you know, the BIA, and b that it now creates a situation where the aldermen do not have to be answerable to the businesses or the residents because then it becomes a well, just talk to the BIA first, and they'll bring your concerns forward. Mm-hmm. Is that how? you're looking at it right now because you are currently on a BIA, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, As been the executive director of Chantown's BIA, and we put that together back in uh, 2015 <coughs> onwards, um, I won't I won't lie that we have not had the, you know, the, the most cohesive relationship between our counselor and and our uh, the BIA and uh, uh, our community, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, does, it, uh, does it mean we're finger pointing or pitting each other against each other? You know, mm-hmm. I will say from the BIA perspective, from the board and ourselves, we, you know, we work with our merchants and we work with council, we work with administration. We're not in a finger pointing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Could it be better? Could it be better? Definitely could be better. Yeah, but know? it's not about finger pointing. It's about why am I as a restaurant or a business paying this BI fee when my alderman is not being answerable to the issues that we're bringing forward to the BIA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now it becomes a, a situation, you know, and I was on the BIA and I, and I, for myself personally, I kind of looked at it as, wow, like this is this is creating another bureaucratic step. When the last I checked, the businesses and the residents didn't vote me in, like they didn't vote me or Ernie Sue in mm. as a BIA member to handle their concerns. They voted mm-hmm. in the aldermen in that area, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. you know, my question to you is for the people in Ward Seven is, 
are they going to the BIA or can they come directly to you? Well, certainly, you know, all residents, all businesses should be able to go to, you know, direct to a counselor mm-hmm. in the counselor's office. That, that should be your first, you know, first course. Recognizing, though, a lot of times the counselors, um, you know, their agenda, and I'm not trying to apologize for it, but their agenda is busy with a bunch of things that they can't get into the weeds. Mm-hmm. Our job as counselors, though, is then to be able to enable and activate people to get their jobs done, whether that be administration, whether it be other associations, uh, such as the BIA, or other uh, uh, third-party uh, entities, right? Is If I can say, you know, we're, as a representative counselor, our job is also to be like a quarterback as well mm-hmm. to make these things work. Not to work, you know, incongruent with the BIA, but to work supportive with the BIA. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, getting back to the question about, you know, should a business play, pay a BIA a special levy for them to be there? There's two schools of thought of that, one of which is, do you want um, a BIA, including your board repairs, to be representative of your interest directly? Or the second school is, do we create a, you know, a city, a city department that is, you know, representative of, of again, the bureaucracy to represent your interests, right? And I think you'll find when you talk to your 17th Ave or Kensington BIAs, the ratepayers there feel that they can get more direct response and, you know, and how to say um, uh, understanding, if not empathy, of, you know, the issues they're facing because we're, we're there. We're sitting in their offices right beside them, you know, every day, right? They know the struggles. Whereas if they go ask for a city service, oh, stand in line, go to 311. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said, how long, how long do you have to shuffle through 311 before you get a response, right? Whereas when we get called in, we get called in, and nine times out of ten, yes, we still follow 311, but we also know how to, who, to, who to direct it to right away and get the response. And sometimes we can pull out our Rolodex and call straight to the roads guys, hey, yeah, I need you out here now. So that's what we can do. Well, if you're elected, I'm going to talk to you about my alley. True. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> <And I'll> t- <laughs> that was I, the whole uh, purpose, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole purpose bringing you here today. Well, you know, you know, that, one that, alley in words. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that was a question I got back in May when we first started knocking. Everybody said the springtime with the, the ruts that were in the alley. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. So the first thing I did was right away put it on, you know, put on my Facebook page the schedule when sh- the city comes out and takes care of your ruts. Cool. And a lot of people that came back says, we didn't know that. How'd you find that out? You know, and that's because I've got relationships with people back at the city who, who say, hey, Terry, we're going to be here, for, here, here, here for you. And, you know, I've done that for the last six years, and I'll continue to do that even if I don't win. Oh, I appreciate that. I said that totally as a joke, and I, and I love it. I love that you did well, that. not really. Yeah. Well, I wasn't – there was no hidden agenda. Yeah. Yeah. The alley's no joke. Yeah. No, um, that's awesome. And so um, tell me, I guess, so how has been – like, how has this uh, – campaign been for you from from an engagement perspective uh who have you been talking to how have the doors been going kind of just what's that been like what have you been and you mentioned like what are you hearing from people a little bit but what is it what has it been like and what is um what does a win on day one look like for you mm-hmm. so you know I, from the start of may we you know we door knocked you know, one community at a time. When I say one community, 100% of the houses. Hmm. So how yes. many door knocks have you made so far, do you think? So if you if you count north of the river, right, we probably covered about 80% of the houses, mm-hmm. right? And by that meaning that, you know, some communities, 100%, right? Probably two-thirds of the community, 100%. The rest wow. of them, you know, uh, there. It's just a matter of, you know, time, right? But in that, there's two, two other measures you get. It's not just how many doors you knock. How many doors open yeah. and how many doors open actually support you? 
And the last question is always the hard one because early on people say, well, I don't know, I don't know, right? Yeah. The way in which we did that was we asked people, would you like to contribute to a survey? You know, tell us the top five things that concerns you about Calgary. Tell us the top, top five things that concern you about Ward, you know, Ward 7. And people engaged in that survey? Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? They, they gave us email addresses. Wow. So that yeah. is that third measure of success. When they give you an email address, it's like giving your cell phone number, right? Yeah. People don't want to be spammed. But the fact that they, they're actually willing to listen to me and say, yes, I'm going to contribute to you. Here's my email address. We did that. We got that. So we put a survey monkey questionnaire out to people. We got responses back. And the three top things that we heard were confirmed by the survey. Safe communities, number one. An affordable city, number two. And a vibrant Calgary, number three. And the fourth one that came, which we, you know, we didn't anticipate at the beginning, was residential density. So mm. those are the four things that they want us to focus on day one. So increasing density? Density, you know, from, uh, we're talking residential density. So yeah. packing more houses within a, within a uh, square mile, for example. The answer is that people do recognize population is going to grow. We need to put more houses where people want to be. In established communities is where a lot of people want to be. So whether it be Hillhurst, Sunnyside, or, you know, um, Parkdale, people do want to live in the area. And to do that, they recognize they will be needing to build more, you know, duplexes and fourplexes and everything else. Affordable housing? Well, I'll, I'll get to that one in a second. But the mm-hmm. thing about the thing about the the um, uh, d- do that, they don't want a blanket approach. They don't want a policy approach. Say everything in you know uh, in uh, uh, let's say Parkdale will now be uh, attached, detached, row housing, right? Anywhere you want, right? They want a more managed approach. Mm-hmm. And what the managed approach is, so you go into you know Rosedale, for example, and it's a community that's like 80, 90 years old. Yeah. A lot of you know established character in there. Um, um, uh, tr- uh, I say tree canopies and everything else. They don't want somebody to just come in and knock down a whole bunch of stuff and build something that doesn't fit. They want to be consulted. They want to preserve the community. That's what that's what Calgary is all about. You know, the uniqueness of the history, the heritage of our communities, the livability of communities where people say, "I want to live here because," versus choosing over there because. Right? Mm-hmm. As uh, if you take a blanket approach where anybody can come and do anything, all of a sudden you got vanilla across the entire entire yeah. place, and we don't want that. So how do you do that? Simply going back to, you know, going back to planners and saying that that policy, that ideology of putting density anywhere doesn't apply anymore. You got to go back and do a proper engagement to say, you know, strategically, you know, how do we do it? So step number one, we need to understand what's, you know, what's the demand, supply and demand requirement, mm-hmm. right? We haven't done a supply and demand study since 2010. Hmm? Wow. Yes. Really? The 2010 Municipal Development Plan had a study that said, <coughs> you know, what's the projection for p- population growth? 2010, they said, we'll do 50% development in s- established areas, 50% development in, in uh, suburban areas. It also said we would do the suburban, uh, the, the uh, inner city development around brownfield areas, such as, you know, university district or stadium shopping center and such, and on nodes and quarters. So nodes being around, you know, shopping centers and LRT stations and quarters being like 16th Avenue and whatever, right? That was a strategy. 2020 comes rolling around, ten, uh, time to update it. Well, council doesn't have time, money to do, to do this, right? So they do it, you know, just a, a quick update to the report, but don't update the s- supply and demand trends. Hmm. As a result, they implement a policy of blanket densification without knowing what the target is. That needs to be done. Wow. Right? Hmm. When we know the target, then we go back to the strategy that was established in 2010, not a blanket approach, right? And thirdly, in 2010, there was a strong community engagement mechanism in there we need to we need to honor that again 
Hmm. So the beauty of that, <clears throat> excuse me, the beauty of that, it sounds like, is it's been done before. So we know what we need to do. We just need to go do it again. It's just a matter it's of... A, the protocols are there. Yeah. The protocols are there. It's, it's, it's not taking... It's not trying to force something down when you don't know where you're going. Hmm. Right? We need to know where we're going and use the protocols. And I guarantee you, the things that, whether, you know, whether it's uh, the, uh, the progressives or the conservatives or liberals or whoever, those objectives will be fulfilled. We will provide more housing for people. Now, to your question earlier about affordability, you know, you can, you can take a single-family house in Crescent Heights, knock it down. So let's say it's an $800,000 house. You knock it down, you get a land value of about 500000 because, you know, location is important for land, right? You build a fourplex, $1.5 million. It's also a $2 million property. Mm-hmm. Divide that by four, it's $500,000. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you try to sell, fi- you know, a fourplex there, it's going for six fifty to 700000 mm-hmm. That was a s- pretty close to the same price as a single-family house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How did it become affordable? Affordability doesn't come by adding more stock to the marketplace, you know, unless you over oversupply the marketplace, in which case you drive you know, the price down, right? Yeah. Affordability comes, you know, particularly uh, through, you know, through the people's income. We need to provide greater income so you can qualify for a first mortgage, so you can qualify for, you know, for the, the ability to, to, to uh, you know, upgrade, right? That's what we need to do. Uh, provide better you know, li- uh, uh, living incomes for people, affordable incomes for people, so they can afford whether we to, to buy or to rent. That's where affordability comes in. What, what do you want to tell the residents of the businesses in Ward 7 of your top three priorities? Like, what would be the top three priorities, as Alice was trying to touch on there, is if you, day one, want, if you were to win, what's day one look like for your top three priorities of getting initiated for, for Ward 7? Yeah, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll say, again, the top three priorities for the public, safe communities, affordable city, and, and uh, vibrant communities are things that we will do over the course of four years, mm-hmm. right? And try to get as much of it done as soon as possible. So does that mean more funding for police then? It means uh, rebalancing the city, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we're a $4 billion corporation with, you know, how many different lines of services. We need to rebalance to ensure that, you know, those that are short get more and those that have, you know, don't have the demand for them, you know, we, we move money around, right? People around. My, on day one for me, very first thing that council is going to be asked to do is approve the 2022 budget, mm-hmm. right? Now, council, the previous council has already said we're going to have zero tax rate increase. Well, it'd be you know foolish for you know new council members to just automatically blanket approve what the previous council has has dictated. <clears throat> We've all heard different things from our constituents, so we need to go in between you know, between now and then November, make sure the 2022 budget reflects what the people want today, not what the old council thought it should be. Okay, because mm-hmm. the old business plan was done in 2017, so we're four years out. The second thing is that we, you know, uh, once we get that approved, we need to get, um, you know, how to say, the four-year strategy, the four-year priorities for council approved in the first quarter next year. Now you can imagine the bring, <coughs> bring a bunch of rookies and try to win a Stanley Cup. You can't do that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Even even if well, you I have don't know Vegas. Yeah, I don't know. We, we look back at Vegas, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was an anomaly. Yeah, <laughs> they, they all went, you know. Yeah. But needless and to say, rookies. but the, the whole the whole point is that we need to we need to you know bring council together and create the right four year plan, uh, vision for four year plan, and then that's going to be the second priority. Now, mm-hmm. part of that means that we really got to take a critical look at who we are, what we are, where we're going, and what the people want to get there. Mm-hmm. Then look at our organization and make it work accordingly. 
I'm not, again, talking to uh, the city manager and general managers and all the staff there. We're not saying we're trying to upset the apple cart for you, but we're going to help you, you know, help you get that, you know, the right um, priority set so we can move forward accordingly. Mm-hmm. So those are the first two things, only because it's, it's going to take us the first four months just to define that. The third thing, which is uh, going to be done parallel, we have to take care of the downtown core. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Well. You know, and the downtown core, the first thing is taking care of the safety issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're making it so that people want to be in the downtown core. Secondly, we also need to make it uh, <coughs> people, you know, make it a way that people can get down to the downtown easily. Right. So downtown is not just the downtown core and one and a half kilometers around the downtown core. It's an entire city. The entire city, you know, comes to downtown, whether to work or to shop or to go to theaters or go to a Flames game or whatever the case may be. We need to make it easy for them, whether you're from Sundance or Sage Show, to get to downtown easily, affordably, and meaning parking. We need affordable parking. We need greater supply of, you know, the availability of parking, right? Mm-hmm. And the last thing is we need to make downtown a vibrant place, not uh, not a street that closes at 5 o'clock, mm-hmm. but a street that, you know, that reverberates till 1 or 2 o'clock. And, you know, whether it be... Uh, I remember when I first came to Calgary, Electric Avenue was you know, 11th Avenue. Was I ran it? Electric Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I did. I ran the Fox and Frickin' Coconut Joe's, uh, Bandito's, uh, and the King's Horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that was a vibrant place, right? Yeah. Now, we, you know, we, we see some of that in 17th. We see some of it in Kensington. But we need to see more areas of that activated, right? And that's the, that's the other thing I want to do is find a way we can incentivize businesses, property owners, to make that work. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, what do you suggest? Yeah, exactly. What's what's the incentivization to get these businesses back downtown? Well, some of the uh, number one one thing we need to do as a city is take care of infrastructure, make sure again the city is clean and safe for people to come. Number two, then work with you know through the BIs and 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 uh, through the businesses, find ways in which we can help you you know operate your business. Part of that is about rem- you know, removing some of the red tape. You know, and I'm sure there is still red tape, even though the city has worked in the last couple of years oh, to yeah. try to do that. Mm-hmm. We also need to find a way to, you know, to um, uh, reduce your costs. Mm-hmm. Right? Here comes but the big one. Yep. And yeah. re- reducing costs can come in multiple different ways. It can come from the fees we charge you or the taxes we charge you. Mm-hmm. Right. It could also come from uh, uh, ways in which we can incentivize or subsidize, you know, some of the activity going on. Every, every business owner in Ward 7, commercial property tax, like... Mm-hmm. You know, how, what's your approach on that? Yeah. Well, one of the things that you probably remember back about three years ago when we had that $250 million of taxes that vacated downtown because of downtown, you know, the uh, downturn of the economy, right, and uh, drop of property values. Mm-hmm. So at the time, they said, well, that's the assessment system, Terry. You've been there. You know, we have to redistribute taxes according to the guys on the outside have to pay. And I said, are you kidding me? Because if you go to the Foothills Industrial Park, you got a big, you know, a warehouse, but only one tenant. Yeah, that one ten is all of a sudden picking up that line share of that you know that uh, tax shift. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. The mom and pop businesses outside, you know, they're going to pick it up. That doesn't work. But they went ahead anyways, right? Council realized a year later we made a mistake, <laughs> right? And let's let's shift the taxes from forty seven fifty three the other way around. And right. Now put the burden on residential. I said that is again, you know. What gives us the right to add you know, add on residents more burden of taxes when they get they don't get any additional services? So again, the key is number one, we've got to reduce the non-residential tax base back to 47 percent. Mm-hmm. Residential leave it at 47 percent, and that's six percent savings or six percent differential. We find through savings through the city, and we find through other sources of revenue, particularly 
the uh, the MDs of Rocky View, Foothills, Okotoks who who use city services, but may not be paying their fair share. Mm-hmm. The GCA, the Greater Calgary area. Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. That's uh, it's the first time anyone's brought up the Greater Calgary area in terms of the tax shift. Yeah. Yeah, or fee payment for sure. Yeah. No, it's true, and um, and many people have not talked about, or I don't know if anybody else has talked about reducing non-residential tax, right? There's been yeah. freeze and commitments to freezing and not changing anything, despite, yeah. you know, I, I like what you said, council realized that they made a mistake, because my next question was, well, then why hasn't it been reversed? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and not even necessarily cutting checks back but at least what you're talking about so i think that's um well part you know part of it as well was uh <clears throat> two years three years in a row we we uh council made the decision that any businesses that experience tax increase of more than 10 percent will will cover the difference and we're covering that difference through that so-called rainy day fund yeah right? mm-hmm. well again how do we create a rainy day fund in the first place yeah and secondly should we be using rainy day fund for this purpose right yeah. And, and so we need to take a look at that whole funding model and the way in which, you know, through the quarterly uh, management of our, our expenses, are we tracking properly? You know, are they spending money where they should be? If they're savings, are we redirecting where we should be? That kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the job of, you know, city manager, CFO, and uh, working with our council members. And I mean, I think you're right. Is like, do we need as big of a rainy deed fund? Is this the best way to use it? But it's tough because the city is kind of handcuff a little bit by the municipal government act right like because cities can't run a deficit and so it's like well how do you how do you plan if not have a rainy day fund or a surplus but then you know how you know so it's tough you're kind of in a rock and a hard place because let's say you reduce that and you deploy it and you deploy it in a way that's great whether that's you know covering a tax bill or putting it into development or whatever you decide as council representing taxpayers but you know, um, it, it is a difficult situation to be in, and I don't know if there's, if that's something which can be really reformed. So again, if you take a look at the rain day fund, right, it's made up of surpluses every business unit uh, realizes through the end of the year, mm-hmm. right, and then it gets contributed. If you do proper budgeting, and you can talk to every every corporation out there, so if I plan my 2022 budget to say it's going to be a $10 million operation, I'm going to spend this and realize a profit like that, you stick to that You stick to that plan. You don't necessarily uh, plan 2022 based on the fact that you got a reserve that you can dip into. Mm-hmm. If you need that reserve, you'd use that reserve for things that were not planned for, you know, so, so a catastrophe of some sort, or maybe an expansion that, you know, that uh, opportunity that you want to expand on. You dip into that, but you don't dip into your regular business plan operating. Say, oh, guess what? We got money. You know, let's you know, let's because uh, uh, then what's the point of managing? What's the point of ba- budgeting? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, you're in an interesting ward, right? I think because you you have about half of downtown, right, in the ward, and then it's pretty big. Like, yes, it's still inner city. But, you know, you, you gave the boundaries earlier, but you go pretty far out. So um, when you look at a map, downtown represents such a small portion visually, right? But then, um, and so how do you find yourself, like, is it tricky to try and balance the priorities between residential and non-residential? And obviously every ward deals with this to a certain degree, but I, from my perspective, I, I would just imagine that having downtown as part of that and 
as part of that 250 or 280 million dollar tax gap and how do you deal with all these empty buildings and all that kind of stuff like I, I you seem pretty calm cool and collected but I'm like I don't know how you would balance that stuff well yeah it's not you know of all 14 14 words we are the uh, most uh, diverse word both in terms of property types uh, and in terms of our, our, our tax base uh, and employment uh, requirements uh, arts and culture it, there's no doubt about it it's not it's not for the faint of heart and <laughs> the the, uh, the ward 7 councillor needs to as you just said you know, have a steady hand on uh, both a steady mind and a steady hand on what needs to get done, um, but also be efficient and, and knowledgeable. You know how to move forward accordingly, right? Uh, and so I credit you know credit myself for that. You know, thirty six years of being in around city hall to understand that on day one. Second part of the equation though is I need to be able to work with uh, quality people you know within my office, but also other members of council. It's been said many times over. Whoever's your mayor. It's most critical your mayor, your ward seven, and your ward eight councillor have to be in unison with each other. If, if those three are not in unison with each other, the rest of the councillors are going to sit back and watch, you know, watch the uh, escapade go on, right. and it may not be a good one. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what's your, I guess, what's your relationship with kind of the top three, four, five mayoral candidates and? And, you know, I won't go so far as to ask you who are you voting for. Everybody yeah, else does. <laughs> <laughs> not doing that. But uh, well, maybe. But maybe. I mean, if, share what you want to share, right? I want yeah. But, um, yeah, so how do you feel about that going into Monday? It's only three days away. And sure. knowing that it's it's important, I think, for council to get a long period. But I think you're right, right? Mayor and seven and eight, uh, big deal. So, do you think it's only a two-horse race? In the military race? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's... Uh, there's two answers to that if you were to look at you know media and polling today and you see you know Councillor Gondak, Councillor uh, Farkas head and head right people naturally are going to say well you know I might vote for ideology the person I like or I might vote for the person that who will eventually win mm-hmm. right and given it's a head and head race they might say you know what it's, it might have to go with that second choice. Pick the one I want to win. May not be the ideal, ideological one I want, but pick the one I think you know I much rather have. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think right now it's so close that people will likely do that as opposed to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, mm-hmm. the other thing is that what I will say to anybody when you're looking at the ballot on on Monday, what I've said from day one is there's four criteria. Number one, you want somebody who understands City Hall from a governance, from a legislative, from policy, and a service line delivery perspective. It's like holding the rudder of a boat. If you can't figure out how to hold and guide that boat, what are you doing there, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, you need to be you know, able to work with each other to build that functional team. Because again, like, a, like you know, um, paddling down a river. So you're not paddling in the same direction, you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Number three, you got to be a great spokesperson for Calgary, whether you're talking to businesses, to residents, the premier, the prime minister, the queen of England. No matter how what you feel about the city and your council members, you got to be, you got to buy in, you got to so buy into the city. You got to buy into the city. You got to sell the city. Yeah. And and you can't have dysfunctional council, you know, and try to sell the city. You got to be function. You know, you got to be you know coordinated. Lastly, you got to have a vision of where you think Calgary should be what that measurable outcome is and a strategy to get there and convince your fellow council members, you know, this is the way to go hmm. and so forth. Hmm. Those are four, you know, it doesn't matter again, whether you're a progressive or liberal, whatever, 
those are four qualities you look for. And out of those five accountants you're referring to, you know, um, you actually didn't name them all, but you know, the point I'm getting at is that you got three incumbents out there today, and probably two, uh, you know, two new uh, accountants out there. Mm-hmm. I know all, th- I know all three very well. They're incumbents very well, and I've worked with them in the past, and I will continue to work with them, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of where we stand. Um, the two new ones, again. Um, uh, the only challenge I have is how much do you know about the first thing about City Hall? But, yeah. uh, but, but from a citizen standpoint, you know, a lot of the p- businesses I talk to, they want to change. They don't mm-hmm. want, they don't want more of the same. They want, you know, and these outside incumbent, like the, the people that are running for mayor that are not the three incumbents, they're smart people. Like mm-hmm. they've, they've run businesses well, here, not afar, like, they bring not a all different of them. perspective. Not all of them. Not all of them. I'm not saying all of them. I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying there's there, there's a number of candidates that are running out there that, um, yeah, they may not know the inner workings of the city, but I'm pretty sure they could figure it out. Like well, you know. and so if you go with the non-incumbent candidates, mm-hmm. that's where it's really, really important for them mm-hmm. to be able to side up and and build a team amongst other council members. Mm-hmm. There are going to be, uh, there may be um, uh, incumbent councillors that will be reelected. And, and they've got some experience, so you, can, you have to be able to work with them. Mm-hmm. There are also going to be pe- people out there who are just far off, this is what I want to do, <laughs> yeah. and you got to be able to rein them in, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the point is, for a non-incumbent candidate, mayor, mm-hmm. right, the trick for them is to you know, to try to bring as many people together. Dave Bronconia used to say, you know, you never come to council unless you knew you had, you know, uh, an 8-7 favorable vote for every agenda item you have. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the real role of a councillor uh, of the mayor is make sure you got uh, you know the fifteen council members, at least eight of them, working together, moving moving the ball forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, um, so you know, or yeah, you're saying you know the three incumbent councillor candidates that are running, and you feel comfortable and confident in being able to work with any of them. Again, I can, you know, uh, that's been my career has been to work with anybody. Yeah. The critical question is. Are they prepared to work with us? Right. You know, the other council members. Ward 7 is a critical ward. Ward mm-hmm. 8 is a critical ward. The mayor needs to recognize that, you know, whoever the mayor is needs to recognize that these two particular councillors, you know, have a, a big plate to fill, f- to fill, and we need help. But we also have a big plate to fill. We need their support. Right. So if you don't get, you know, those three in, in, in uh, sync with each other, you know. Yeah. 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 So you, cool. I think we've right. got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Is there anything, Ernie, that you want to go over? Well, I think it's important. I mean, we're, we're rounding the last, you know, few days going into the election here. You know, what do you want to tell the citizens and the businesses in Ward 7 um, as a, one of your last messages uh, leading into the cu- last couple of days here? Sure. I think the most important thing is, you know, vote for, for you know, what you believe your community needs and wants. Okay. Uh, especially when it comes you know, to the mayoralty candidate, if you don't have a, a choice, ask yourself the question, which one will serve my community best? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when it comes to Ward 7, same question. Which, which ca- uh, candidate will serve Ward 7 the best? Um, what I'll close on my part, though, is I think I can give you the best 36 years of experience, both administratively, politically, and in communities. And, uh, again, I don't shy, you know, shy away from things. You know, I'm a workhorse, you know, and... Uh, um, I think you know the having having said that about being a workhorse, I also will be you know, have a good solid team behind me working with me. You know, we've been assembling people already. We're ready to go on day one. 
awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, Terry. Uh, like I said, especially as a resident of Ward 7, uh, it's been noisy and it's tough to know. And I think uh, it's it, hearing about your experience is, is really encouraging. And I think that um, non-council but city experience is uh, a really unique um, resume running into this for any candidate in any ward, really. Um, for that many years, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I, I love the comment of the oldest rookie on the team. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, truly wish you all the best uh, leading into the final days. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you or your campaign, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, certainly on the website, it's terrywong.ca, very straightforward. Uh, email info at terrywong.ca. And if you really, really want to phone me, um, ask for the phone number, I'll call you back. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. Uh, that wraps up another episode of the Election Series Work in Progress podcast. Uh, go check out all the other ones and make sure you head out to vote on Monday.